Hey, all, we're back with another episode. You may notice, just FYI, when we go into this, this camera situation, I got a new camera, but the interview is going to be on my old camera, so it's going to slightly look different. But this interview, I'm very excited to bring you uh, Mark Lambert, who is one-third of the Catholic Unscripted podcast. Go actually go check out that podcast. It's very well done. He's a Catholic blogger and writer and YouTuber, does a lot of stuff. It was a really amazing uh, conversation. We talked about his faith journey, being a cradle Catholic and coming back to the faith and how going through all his understanding of scripture, just how much it opened up to him. So uh, we'll look forward to you hearing that and you letting me know whether or not you found that inspiring, because I really love this conversation with Mark. He was great to talk to, learning about the way he evangelized with his fellow Baptists, uh, even though he's not Baptist, but his overall experience with the Baptist community. We'll touch on that whole situation there because him being a Catholic, but talking to Baptists, oh, oh my gosh, how is that even possible in today's day and age? And then we're, we'll touch on a little bit of leading boys to manhood, how we can better prepare boys to go into manhood, and so much more on this episode. It was a really enjoyable episode, so much that I learned. It, it was very just eye-opening, Ever all the knowledge that Mark had, and I, I look forward to you all hearing this episode, and uh, let me know what you think. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. Here we go. And we're here with Mark Lambert. Thank you again for coming on to the Refactoring My Christianity podcast. I first came across you with your Avoiding Babylon um, interview, and then I read some of your articles that was uh, really uh, we'll touch on in, in a little bit. But at first, what really struck with me with why I wanted to reach out to you is your mentioning of just being a cradle Catholic, which is what I am and not understanding too much of the faith. And then once you uh, had your children, you decided you had to have an inflection point of whether or not you need, you wanted to raise them Catholic. And I sort of felt the same kind of worry of what was the right move. So do you mind giving everybody that's listening and watching your background and how you came to where you are right now? Yeah, sure. Um, so I was cradle Catholic my, from my, my mum's an Irish Catholic from the West of Ireland. So, uh, that's really where I get my faith from. Um, my dad's a Protestant from the East end of London. Um, so I grew up with both of those things in tension, I suppose. I spent a lot of time in London, um, and summers in the West of Ireland, in the fields, up the mountains and in the rivers. Um, and I always, that was always, obviously, Catholicism was an integral part of that growing up. So um, it very much felt like a family thing, a cultural thing. Um, <clears throat> and I suppose as a young man, I thought I was I was very interested in faith, in religion. So um, I kind of thought I knew everything there was to know about it. Um, and it was that, I grew up in the 70s and 80s, so it was that uh, very bland kind of post-conciliar Catholicism where no one really seemed to know what was going on. That was the thing that <laughs> I remember from my childhood is that they'd have the uh, the Eucharistic prayer on a board at Mass, you know, and everyone was flicking through their missile to try and figure out because it was brand new. It only started in 71, so no one really knew what it was all about. Um, and obviously I didn't know anything different. That was the way that I grew up with it. Um, 
served on the altar and all that kind of stuff. I was fortunate to have uh, some, you know, good clergy in the parishes that I was a part of. Um, and they inspired me, gave me stuff to read. And, you know, if I had questions, they'd answer those questions. Um, we had one particularly brilliant parish priest, Father, Father Gordon, Father John Gordon, who was an Irishman with huge hands. And uh, I can remember he came to the west of Ireland one year um, and climbed Crow Patrick. So uh, my family's from the foot of Crow Patrick, which is the, the mountain where St. Patrick famously stayed 40 nights and 40 days. So, um, yeah, he climbed that with us and said mass at the little oratory at the top. So that was really inspirational, you know, sort of thing about, about priests growing up. Um, gave me great confidence in them. And then I suppose it was uh, like... Uh, with reflect, reflecting on it now, it's like the blandness of that kind of Catholicism, which doesn't really have any kind of mean, you know, it's all very nice and being nice to each other, but there's no real meaning to it, especially as a young man. You kind of think, well, what's this all about? I don't really, <laughs> where does mm -hmm. it go? You know, what effect does it have on your life? That's the mm -hmm. real point. And it doesn't seem to have any effect. You go or you don't go or you, mm -hmm. you know, what there were. There was no discernible teaching to it. There was nothing. I can remember as a kid thinking no one at the Catholic school that I went to lives the way that it seems to teach you in, in the scriptures or, you know, the, the way that we seem to learn at mass. Um, and that puzzled me really a lot. It frustrated me quite a lot. Uh, but that was just the way it was. It didn't mean that I, I didn't think that that was the right way to live. I did, but it just didn't, no one else seemed to be paying any attention to any of it. And then I suppose I got a bit older and, um, you know, get into your teenage years and girls and the pub and stuff like that becomes a bit more important than mm -hmm. anything else. But I still kept going. I was still going to mass and all that sort of thing. And then I met my wife in 1989. We met on a pilgrimage to Lourdes in France, um, which was a, a really positive thing in terms of my faith um, because it was that was efficacious. That was something where you could actually do something. You could push a wheelchair or carry some around or do something practical. So I understood that. But of course, there's this massive drop off then when you come back home that, that you're, you're not pushing around wheelchairs or anything and you're back to work or back to the office or whatever. So it didn't really carry over. So it wasn't really that I had any great rebellion. I always believed in Jesus. I always felt very close to Christ. Um, and I would always say that I never lost any, I never lost my faith in Christ, but it was my faith in the church. And I think there was a period of time where I thought, well, whatever the truth is, it's not this, you know, whatever mm. it is, it's not this felt banners and people saying one thing and doing something else and just singing these rubbish hymns, you know, what's it, what does any of it mean? There was no, I just couldn't figure out what it was all about. So I went on a bit of a search, you know, try like sort of learning about different things. I can remember Islam was a really big thing for me because it was this whole other book, you know. Mm -hmm. I can remember being really upset um, learning about the Mormons because I kind of thought, oh, they've got another book. You know, when you read their book, they didn't really have another book. It was kind of like mm -hmm. a story <laughs> tagged <laughs> on to the end of it. Um, and you know, Methodists, Baptists, you name it. I sort of did the whole thing and remained interested in it, but not, you know, I didn't, I didn't change my faith or anything. Um, it didn't change my denomination either. You know, I stayed a Catholic, 
but just I think it became less important. So you know, it's an interesting thing reflecting on it. Is it that my my faith, my relationship with God was still there, but my desire to be a part of the community perhaps had left mm. me. But my wife was a faithful Catholic, so we got married in '95, and we we had a few kids to start off with. And it was at that point, really, that I thought, well, I've got to make up my mind now if I'm going to actually bring these kids up, you know, as Catholics. And if I, if I, if I am going to do that, I better get some answers. And I'd been teaching catechesis, you know, for like for the parish and one thing or another. But I, I knew that I didn't have any, I knew that I didn't have any idea what I was doing, really. You know, you read it out of the book or whatever, but, and you knew, I knew the basics, but I suppose I didn't have any real depth of understanding. And if anyone asked me to explain my faith, I was explaining a very subjective idea of my own spiritual experience. So I had no understanding of doctrine or history or the apostolic succession or um, the magisterium or any of those things, no catechesis at all, you know, the, like nothing. Um, and I can remember at one point picking up Crossing the Threshold of Hope by John Paul II and thinking, wow, this is really good because there's some some really good answers to questions in there. And oh, I didn't realise that popes wrote anything or anything like that. <laughs> but um, there was a guy in my com who was doing confirmation class with me and uh, after a few years he decided that he was going to go off to seminary. So, hello, Father Dominic, if, you're, if you catch up with this, but... He basically convinced me to study formally and he even found a course for me at a place called Maryvale in, in Birmingham. Um, <clears throat> and it was a five-year course, so it took me a good few years to warm up to it. I think it was at least five years before, uh, and I thought, well, I'd, I'd have done it now if I'd started when he told me. And eventually <laughs> I went forward and did that. And the, the course was extraordinary. It was an extraordinary experience. I remember the first weekend um, we had a, a Trinity was the first lecturer and the lecturer was Father Richard Conrad, who was the vice rector at Blackfriars Oxford. And uh, it just totally blew me away. The content just totally blew me away. And I came out of it, rung my wife, and I was quite angry about the fact that no one had ever, I didn't know any of this stuff. You know, it was all completely new stuff to me. So I had a voracious app appetite from that point on for the course. You know, I really enjoyed it. We were very fortunate to have everyone from um, Rome used to come over and lecture us. So, you know, we had some really amazing lecturers, um, like, uh, you know, probably someone you might know, Father Thomas Wynandy did our Christology course, who was the theologian to the U.S. Bishops' Conference up until a few years ago when he, disappeared, he disagreed with Pope Francis and got the sack. Mm. So, so there were so big names in theology. Uh, Norman Tanner taught us councils, for example. Like, if you talk about councils, the books that you refer to are Tanner, and so we had him teach us councils. So we had some really great teachers, and it was really an amazing experience. Um, and then, <clears throat> so the, I think I graduated in two thousand and two thousand and thirteen, was it something like that? But in two thousand and nine, I had uh, a bit. I had a real problem where. Um, I went out one day in a rainstorm with my seven-year-old daughter in the car and the car turned over and she was killed. So that was oh, no. in the middle of this this course. And it was, uh, 
absolutely devastating time in my life. I was running a successful, a large successful business at the time and everything, and all that fell to bits and, you know, it all sort of came crashing down around my ears because I just wasn't interested in anything after that for a long while. But um, it was amazing the way that God had sort of given me this course, he'd given me these set of friends and all of that really, you know, it gave me a... <clears throat> It gave me a way through that pain and suffering, if you like. Mm -hmm. So it was a way of, of God ministering to me during that time. Um, so, and we had another daughter in 2012, by God's grace. Um, she's 11 now. So um, wonderful. And she's obviously the, the princess in the family. <laughs> of course. So, yeah. um, we have, uh, we have uh, a son right now and we have a little daughter on the way. And I just, I could just foresee I'm just going to be wrapped around her finger for sure. And you will, <laughs> I'm looking you will. forward to that. <laughs> um, but what you were saying about uh, just the fact that I felt that's sort of why I resonated with you, where it felt like I would grow up going to church, but it just felt kind of ritualistic where people were going through the motions, but you weren't given any information on why we are doing the things we're doing. So it, me growing up, it, it felt like there wasn't that much to it. It kind of felt like it was paper thin. Whatever we're doing, it didn't make much sense. It seemed like, oh, you can just, uh, it, it doesn't matter too much because it doesn't seem like people have that much reverence for this. It's, you could go to it, not go to it. Oh, well, if you miss mass, it's not a big deal. And then uh, coming around to diving back in, um, I, I branched away a little bit in my secular phase in college and then came back uh, non-denominational, then Protestantism. And that I'm, I feel blessed to go through that process to kind of understand just where people are. And then now diving back into Catholicism, it just I didn't realize how much meat was actually on the bone, so to speak. I initially thought it was very thin, but now it's there's so much history that goes into it with the, the church history and just the foundational doctrines. And uh, I'm still learning. I, I am in the early phases, but I'm very excited with just how much I've already been able to learn. And just my eyes have been open to be just mind blown with how these early church fathers, how they listened or not listened, but how they deduced certain things and how they read through um, the Bible and kind of came to this conclusions on a, a lot of different doctrines that you see Protestantism, Protestantism going against now. And it's, it's just really fascinating to see. It, it opens my eyes too when you have this church that's been around for so long. By the grace of God, it seems that this church is still standing but when you look at protestantism at least 500 years and there's so many sects of it it just it just it kind of seems clear to you once you start learning about the early church fathers and all of that and it, it just the the you mentioned on one of your interviews the treasure of uh, a lot of the treasures of the the catholic faith and that's sort of what i'm seeing now and was there something that kind of opened your eyes to kind of the, the treasure and the Catholicism, Catholicism as a whole, like a specific doctrine or something that you read where it finally clicked and why haven't I seen or heard this before? Well, all of it, I think. <laughs> I, was a, <laughs> yeah. I was a real Marcionite when I started studying, you know. Do you know what that means, Adam? Do you know, have you ever heard of that? No, I don't. So I it's an early church heresy um, 
the bishop Marcion was a bishop who believed that um, the God of the Old Testament was a nasty, scary, magic wielding mm. sort of evil God, and the God of the New Testament was lovely, fluffy Jesus. You know, sounds like atheists things. of today when they yeah, <laughs> compare the two. Much, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so it was this, and, and that was kind of I couldn't get my head around the Old Testament, so what a load of rubbish. But the New Testament. That all made sense, you know, be nice to each other. That was, you know, that was as much as I understood of it. Um, so when I when I went into study, scripture was a real focus for me and I ended up doing my dissertation on scripture. And uh, I was so fortunate because um, the guy who was running the course was a guy called uh, Canon John Redford, who's passed away now, God rest his soul. But he was a, an extraordinary priest and a biblical hermeneuticist. So... He spoke all the Bible languages and he was the guy that like the Catholic Truth Society would go to if they wanted to know whether the English translation that they'd written of the Bible was correct in terms of what it meant with the original biblical languages, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the course, we spent like about a year breaking down scripture to its uh, basic, like its critical minimum. Um, so we went through all the German Protestant theologians what they said about everything you know like how they broke it down to i don't know if you know about the like the um there was this thing called the jesus what was it the jesus symposium or something where they all had to put marbles in bags to decide you know what what bits of scripture were accurate and what were made up and you know so there was this big thing that went on and I think it was probably at the end of the 60s or the 70s that there was this attitude, the prevailing attitude was that, um, you know, the Bible was like the New Testament was written sort of five or 600 years after Jesus had, had died. Um, it was written by people who had this idea that, um, you know, Jesus was a good guy and they were trying to get that message across to everyone else. So that was, that was the prevailing idea then. And then we we were introduced to all this new scholarship that had gone on since mm -hmm. then, or and going back to the fathers and laying the two things over each other. So, having broken it all down to its critical minimum, and then seen where the Protestant idea had gone to with it, we then built it all back up again to the magisterium, you know, back up to the full understanding. And that was absolutely. I can remember I was absolutely drawn into it initially, and after about six months, I was like, okay. Give me the spirit now. Give me John's gospel. You know, like we've done the history, we've done the critical method, we've done the the hard work, and then you just right. Okay, I'm convinced of the reality of this. Mm -hmm. Now bring the bring the stuff. You know, bring the juice. Like you know, mm -hmm. so that and that was beautiful. Then, like I can remember doing like you know studying with um, different lecturers, and all of us we're just crying going through you know, the, the Garden of Gethsemane in Luke's Gospel um, and uh, the lecturer saying it could be when Jesus is, you know, sweat falls like big drops of blood. He was saying, is this Jesus already taken on the burden of our sins and his body is breaking down under the, you know, the pressures already started that process of, oh, it's just, you know, everyone's in floods of tears. It's brilliant, yeah. really, really, really powerful stuff. And for me, I think starting with scripture has been so important um, and it's allowed me some special access, really. Like in the last couple of years, I've been um, invited to do Bible study at the Baptist church at the top of the road. So mm -hmm. particularly they asked me to do John's gospel. So that was really interesting, um, oh, I especially, 
the, the prologue was interesting when we were talking about mm-hmm. Mary being the tabernacle and mm-hmm. uh, John 6 was all kinds of fireworks going off. <laughs> Actually, that's a good segue because I was going to talk about that because you were mentioning, um, I th- just found it fascinating that you went to a, a Baptist church and then you went to evangelize people. And uh, there was a quote in one of your articles that I kind of resonated. I thought it was, it was a very profound point that you said uh, says that our relationship has been cultivated over the years by a mutual love of scripture and of Jesus Christ, which has been a developing mutual respect, which is not shy of discussing our differences while embracing and focusing on what we share, which as it turns out is an awful lot in quote. And I just thought that was a great message that you put out that there is, we have these slight differences, but maybe they haven't been exposed to what you were talking about, diving deep, deeper uh, into the scriptures itself, whereas maybe they do dive in more and then it, it kind of clicks with them. That's sort of what happened with me. Sometimes it takes a little, a few times. For me personally, I'm a little dense, so it takes a little bit more than just once or twice. But it, I just thought that was a very important message about the differences between the two denominations, how we can still co-mingle together and at least spread the good news of the gospel itself. And I, I liked that message if you wanted to expand on it. Well, I, th- I think that I've found that um, there's one of the guys, one of the pastors there says to me, I'm not a Baptist. I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian who goes to a Baptist church, mm-hmm. which I think is, is really interesting. And I found that most of the guys there would describe themselves as evangelicals rather than, you know, strict Baptists, if you like. Um, we do have some, I mean, we do have some brilliant chats. Like, I can't believe that they, like, they don't believe that baptism does anything except get you wet. Did you know that? So, really? Like, I've been in there saying to them, so hang on a minute, I'm a Catholic and I'm the only person in here who believes that your sacraments are valid. You've only got one and I'm <laughs> the only person who believes there's any validity to it, you know, <laughs> that it does anything over and above getting you wet. So, so they believe it's just a, a ceremonial thing of just showing reverence of sorts and doesn't actually provide anything or how yeah, do they go? Basically, how do they, they just, so really? it's about that. So come, they come to Christ. It's their inner transformation, you know, their acceptance of Jesus. And then the baptism mm-hmm. is just the, I think it's because of the way that the Baptists, I don't know if you know the history of the Baptists, you know, it's, an, it's really quite interesting. They're sort of an English group and they were born out of, uh, so you have to remember that, it was you, Catholicism was banned, yeah, from Elizabeth II after Henry VIII. So his daughter Elizabeth II, you, you'd be killed if you were a Catholic from that time, from the 16th century until the 19th century in England, yeah. So you had the Church of England was the there was this thing called the Elizabethan settlement. I don't want to get too into history and bore everyone to tears, but basically there was the Protestant Reformation was sweeping across Europe. And they tried to impose that. So Henry VIII, believe it or not, died thinking he was a Catholic. He, he thought he was a Catholic, but he was the head of the, of the church in England. So that was so he could make up whatever rules he wanted about how many wives he had and stuff like that, basically. But he didn't, he didn't reject Catholicism. He thought he was the king of England. So you know this whole thing about he was fide defensor, the defender of the faith. He was awarded that by the Pope after he wrote a treatise against Martin Luther King. Uh, about Martin Luther. So <clears throat> so basically it was Queen Elizabeth who tried to introduce Protestantism and there was like a bit of to and fro in. But basically the English people rejected it. 
And so they had this thing called the Elizabethan settlement, which was mm. Protestantism, but with a Catholic face. That's basically mm. what you've got. So now there's varying degrees of that, but um, that's why you've got writers like C.S. Lewis. If you read C.S. Lewis, you, to all intents and purposes, you'd think he was Catholic. Mm. You know, there's, you wouldn't, like that form of Anglicanism is very close to Catholicism. But the Church of England is a very broad spectrum of belief that goes from very low church evangelical Pentecostal sort of belief all the way to high church Catholicism. You'd think it was more Catholic than Catholic sort of thing, you know. So there's, so there's a massive broad spectrum of, of beliefs. And um, you see that reflected in, a, you know, in like the Baptists especially, that they're... Um, they, they've got lots of different varying beliefs. And if you get them all together in a room, they all start arguing with each other because none of them really agree with what the doctrine is on any particular issue, you know? So they've, they've mm-hmm. kind of got a very broad spectrum of belief. So going in, I think that gave me a window to get to sort of, you know, go in there. We did the Alpha course there where my son was interested in the Alpha course. And uh, they had the Pope, like the Popes in the Alpha Call. So that was started by an evangelical member of the Church of England. And uh, they've got like, there's lots of Catholic stuff. And what you find when you're in the Alpha Course and you're talking to these guys is they're introducing Catholic stuff all the time. They might not even realize it's Catholic stuff. But if they're talking about proofs for the existence of God or any of this stuff, they're introducing Augustine, they're introducing Aquinas. You know, they mm-hmm. don't say St. Thomas Aquinas, but they're you know it's you can recognise Thomistic thought, you can recognise the fathers. They use the fathers all the time, you know. And and I started to think, blimey, there's an awful lot of Catholic stuff. I wonder if they know how much Catholic <laughs> stuff they're using. And it became obvious as that one of the things was that I could quote scripture, so they love that because they think Catholics don't know anything about scripture. So the the point being that you make an immediate connection. And the connection that you make is that you all love Jesus. That's what you, that's what is motivated, you know, that you've got this common understanding that what you're trying to do is be a disciple. And we had lots of discussions over the months that were about how do we, be, you know, so they were very honest about their understanding and what they are trying to deepen. So I think the, the relationship has blossomed out of that mutual seeking. Would that make sense that they that they you mm-hmm. know they can recognise the fact that I'm trying to be a disciple and that they are trying to be disciples? What was very obvious was that there are really clear inconsistencies in in their beliefs that really struck me hard, and they're the things we all know about. They're the things they throw at us. So you know, um, like saved by faith alone, you know, faith and works mm-hmm. and all this sort of stuff. And their their experience contradicts these ideas. Yeah. You know, so they've got so it's like once saved, always saved is a really good example. And you've got loads of people in the group who've got family members who they call backsliders who, you know, came to Christ and, and now don't come to church anymore. And they're desperately wrestling with this and trying to figure out how does that work? You know, what do they because they're once saved, always saved. So, you know, surely then they're going to heaven even if they don't come to church, but hang on a minute, my pastor's telling me to come to church. None of that makes any sense. So working mm-hmm. all through that with them, you know. We've been doing James recently, and of course James is, mm-hmm. when they said let's do one. James, I was like, oh, this will be interesting, you know. 
And they have, that, the, that's the the one section where it says faith alone, and it's yeah. specifically saying it's exactly, not, yeah. not faith alone. Well, and we had that conversation with the parson. He was about faith and works, you know, and he was saying, he, like, he was quoting all these scripture verses, and I said, okay, but none of those verses say that. None of those verses say faith alone, you know. And when they mm. refer to works, they every set. I said, go back and read every single one of those verses. They all say. Mm-hmm works of the law you know they're yeah they're not, they're not it's not talking about the fruit of your faith and obviously the one place where it does say it is in james where it affirms mm-hmm. the fact that you know that um, faith without works is dead so so you can imagine really interesting discussions all the time but if it's done in love if it's done from a place of love where you're all trying to you're all excited i think it's a genuine you're not trying to win an argument adam you know that's the key yeah. thing is I think if you're trying to win an argument, and whoever's doing it, if if I'm talking to an evangelical and they're they're trying to prove me wrong and they want, you know, yeah, okay, you can pick me up on icons or, you know, some some weird facet of something or other, and I might not have the answer that you're looking for on that. But that's, as you said at the beginning, if if you're a Christian and you look at the history of the church, you are, you have to be a Catholic. You cannot know history and not be Catholic. Because quite simply put, if God sent his only son to save us and to found a church, to fight, you know, to to found the, the bark of St. Of St. Peter or the, you know, let's use the the Good Samaritan parable. You know, if he if that's the you know, the purpose is that Jesus takes the, the broken man to the inn, doesn't he? Where which is the church where he's given the sacraments until Jesus comes back again. So if we believe that fundamental truth, which everyone agrees on that, then it's either Catholicism or it's nothing. That's it. What mm-hmm. else can it be? Because this is what we've got. This is what we've been left with is the Catholic Church. Now there's loads of other people who have got little bits of it, haven't they? And mm-hmm. like Lumen Gentium 16 from the Second Vatican Council teaches us that those are bits, those bits they get from the Catholic Church. And those bits are what impel us to unity. So, you know, they've got one sacrament over there and the, the Lutherans have got mm-hmm. a couple more. And, you know, so all these people, but where do you find the fullness of truth? It's in the Catholic Church. So if you really want, and this is the beautiful thing about it is, if you really want to know Jesus, you know, and that's what they're trying to do is deepen their faith. And so you're you're layering the richness over the top of it all the time. Mm-hmm. And you're able to say, yeah, you're right about Jesus and this point or whatever. But now look at Mary, look at the Theotokos, look at the, you know, look at the saints, look at the ad, and it's this and this and this. And that's what I'm always saying to, to my Baptist friends is, yes, it is that, but it's also this. It doesn't have mm-hmm. to be sola fide, sola gratia, sola scriptura. It is that, but it's also, you know, the three-legged stool of Scripture, you know, the magisterium. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, you make a good point about having it on a foundation of love. And in this case, it's a, a great foundation of love of Christ that you – all these other differing things, you at least have that. And I was recently doing an interview with Robert Nugent where he talked about um, you have – you build a bridge – with love, and you allow that allows truth to get through. She likes to make that off me, Nugent. You know, oh, did he? 
That's well, my big thing. That you know where that comes from is Tim Mackey. Do you know Tim Mackey? So you took, took it from him? Yeah, so he's a he's a Baptist. <laughs> well, I think he's a Baptist. Oh. He does the Bible project. Have you ever seen the Bible okay. project? Yeah, I've I've seen the Bible right, project. So if you yeah. like scripture, get into the Bible and the kids love it as well. It's really good for the kids. But one of the there's a brilliant um talk he does. I think it's on um is it on Matthew five? I think it's on the Beatitudes. You can find it on YouTube. And he tells the story, he was a bit of a skater kid. So we're talking about how we came to faith. And there were some guys where he lived who used to do a, a skateboard ministry or something. And he really mm-hmm. looked up to this older guy who was the skateboard pastor or whatever. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't interested in Jesus or anything like that. And over the years, though, he did really like this guy, he really built up a relationship with him. And uh, one day this guy said, come on, we're going to go to McDonald's or whatever and have a burger and a chat. And he basically took him there and he sat him down and he said, look, Tim, you're in a right old mess. You know, if you keep going in this direction, you, you know, you're never going to form a proper relationship. So you're going to end up not having a proper job, blah, blah, blah. This is what you need to do. And he said, if he'd said that at the beginning of their relationship, he would never have taken it from him. But because this guy had built a bridge of love that was strong enough for that criticism. So, and he's doing it in the context of the, the plank and the splinter, you know, mm-hmm. that's, the, that's the context Tim Mackey's doing it in. And because, you know, he spent the time to build this relationship, which is strong enough for the criticism to go across. So, so, and it's really good because it's like, we need to have those difficult conversations. And that's what Jesus is saying when he says, don't judge, you know, he's, he's not saying don't judge. He's not like, he's not saying don't judge right from wrong, Mm -hmm. but he's saying, look to the splinter in your own eye, you know, before you are ready to have those conversations with someone, you need to make sure that you're in the right place in order to do that. And we all need to, if we're, ex- I think often if we're excited about the gospel, we want to bring that to other people. There's a tendency to say to the people we love, right, you need to, you need to accept Jesus. You need to, you know, whatever, you know, you mm-hmm. need to come to mass and go to confession. And, and sometimes you just need to take it. You need to make sure that your relationship's right before you start mm-hmm. telling other people what to do, basically. Yeah, and you, you never know what that other person went through in their lives, if they passed a Catholic who, you know, Catholic called themselves a Catholic, but then treat them properly, there's probably a lot of healing that needs to go on uh, between that individual and you coming to them and saying that you're a Catholic and now they have their guard up and it probably takes a little bit of slow building of a relationship to kind of have that guard drop to allow you to start having that conversation to allow the the truth to to get through. And uh, I think that's one of the things that are that's good about where I feel like we're so close with Catholicism and Protestantism. There's just a few things that we differ on. And if we can just try to be humble, which it seems like that's the key term all throughout the Bible, humble on both sides, because I think what you mentioned about the back and forth between Protestantism, where they point out something where, hey, you may not have the best understanding of that and being humble enough to realize you need to work on your own understanding of this as well. And that's where maybe the the blessing of the Protestantism movement is that it it kind of strengthens uh, the Catholics' arguments on on these specific, very strong doctrines that maybe kind of fell away of understanding because certain generations just went through the motions and didn't quite have a, a grasp of 
just the richness of understanding that the, the church has. Yeah, I think that um, this has been brought to me. I, I do feel like it's been a faith thing with with Pope Francis, really, because I was a bit of a, I mean, you know, a bit of a Pope fan with uh, um, John Paul II and then Benedict XVI. And Benedict XVI was just an incredible time, you know, where, when I, and that was when I was studying. So in 2007, when he brought out Samorum Pontificum, which was the document which facilitated the traditional Latin mass being said in our parishes, I had no um, concept of even what that was. But I did, but my parish priest said, oh, we're going to start doing that once a month. So if you wanted to come along and I thought, yeah, I do. I want to know what mass was like for my grandparents and, you know, for the saints, because this is the mass that St. John, you know, St. John Fisher and St. Thomas More and, you know, they all went to St. Edmund Campion. So I went along and I just thought, wow, this is a whole treasure trove that's been open for us and the depth. Um, of the the way that you can connect, you know, it's just a, tr- like a whole different experience of transcendence and imminence. You know, I really found it a very moving experience. And off the back of that, for me, that was reading the spirit of the liturgy and, you know, just learning all this stuff. Because although my faith, like I'd been, I, I'd found the theology, I still had problem with the worship. If that, not like, I just... I'm not saying that I didn't like it or anything, but just going to mass wasn't the big thing for me. And now it is. And when, when Ruth died, when my daughter died, that, that became an essential dimension. So I would say that I only really survived that experience because of the sacraments, because I was able to drag my carcass to mass every day. Thanks be to God, you know, and say the rosary and stuff like that. So we, we desperately need the grace, especially when we're going through incredibly difficult times. It's such an incredible gift. And again, you can say that I've managed to talk the Baptists into, don't tell anyone this, into coming to the 40 hours. We've got 40 hours at the end of the month. So um, that's going to be really interesting because the church will be really beautiful, you know. And I've just said it's a time of quiet. I've, I mean, I've explained what it is. And this this course that we're doing at the moment is on James and we're using Francis Chan. Do you know Francis Chan? So he's a Baptist pastor who's uh, come to believe in the real presence. So can you see it? Isn't it amazing how if you you let the spirit guide you, all Mm -hmm. these things are connected up now, you know. If you go into the Baptist church, it's just a box. There's There's no religious iconography. There's no, you know, it's just an empty box. And I can't wait to take them into our church and say, this means this, mm-hmm. this means that, look at this, you know, it's like, this is like the sanctuary. This is, um, you know, the Holy of Holies. This is like it was in the temple and go, and go through all those things with them and show them how they're signs of our love and our fidelity and, you know, uh, a link with the history so that we, it makes it easier to hand those things on. You know, tradition comes from the Latin word tradere, which means to hand on. And that's really all we're doing is it's an apostolic faith, isn't it? So it's something that we're, that's given to us, a treasure that's given to us. And it's, uh, uh, so the sadness that uh, that you were talking about or that the problem for me was that there was a massive disconnect before the seventies with the faith as it was. And when you study, 
that, and you know, I wouldn't mind. I'd, I'd love to be sold on this paradigm shift that Pope Francis is on about. But for me, mm-hmm. the hermeneutic of continuity made perfect sense, you know, that Pope Benedict taught, which was the idea that, that, that you know, that the teaching has to be understood in the context of what's gone before because our faith is apostolic in nature and it doesn't change. And it's interesting to see this now. We've got this interesting situation where, the like, especially I think in South America, a lot of the... And in Africa, at the I don't know if you heard this, but at the Synod on Synodality, the African bishops were saying that the the Protestants are just waiting for the Catholic Church to step down on one of these key hot button topics because they'll just snap everyone up. And if mm-hmm. you pray the office every day, if you read Scripture, you can't divorce it from you know you can't divorce those topics from what the Church teaches and has always taught. At the moment mm-hmm. that we start pretending that it doesn't teach those things or we have a pastoral shift in the way that we approach them, you know, we're lost, really. Do you think it's uh, uh, some form of, I don't know, divine providence that we have to go through this shift? I, I, it's kind of hard to see where things are going. I mean, I've jumped back into Catholicism, seems like it the perfect time with everything all the confusing things that that's that's happening uh that it just seems like it's very fascinating because i've also seen so many more people coming back during this difficult time it's just funny how those things work out that way in in such a confusing time you still have people coming back to the faith because one of the things in relation to what you were just saying one of the things that just struck me going from a Protestant mass to a Catholic mass is it's night and day in terms of the visuals and just the, the reverence and the, the beauty. Now I'm not saying that Protestants don't have reverence and love for the Lord, but there's, there's something to the, the mass and everything that's, uh, that goes on with it, with the incense and just, just the artwork that you see. It's, it's really amazing to see. And I think one of the key things of converting individuals is, is not just the logical aspect of it. It's just, something that touches your heart, which is a lot of times is what the art in the Catholic church portrays and just getting somebody to a Catholic mass can do that for them. And that's why I've been seeing at least with a lot of interviews where that's how they came to um, Catholicism. It's not through just the scripture itself. It's a lot of times just the 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 act of it, the mass. Yeah. yeah. Not through the cold, hard study as much as the actual experience of Catholicism. And you know that's the difference is the the latria and the dulia that like that's the way we worship. So, you know, um, like worship for for Protestants is or for you know for the evangelicals is singing songs together and you know praise and worship and that's as far as it goes. But for us, it's the sacrifice of the mass. It's the representation of Calvary. So it's a far. I mean, you know, you you don't have to be very deep in the books to be able to see what a massive, massive difference that is, you know. And if if you read Scott Hahn's um, book on um, on the mass, there's a brilliant bit where he, at the beginning where he says, I don't know if you ever read it, but he's, so he was like this Calvinist pastor and he was doing his doctorate and one part of it, he had to observe Catholic mass. So he said he went into the church, he had his Bible, you know, and he sort of mm-hmm. sat away from everyone else so he could just be this cold, hard observer. 
that because <laughs> he was so deep in scripture, every single word and action was was open to him. He just saw everything for exactly what it was, and it totally blew him away. And that's the difference, really, isn't it? So, in insofar as the trouble that we're you know the trouble that's going on in the church, it is interesting, but it doesn't phase me. You know, this is a, a, something that I say all the time on the podcast. We've got um, Dr. Gavin Ashenden, obviously, is on is one of the three of us on Catholic Unscripted, and Gavin's a professor and a you know very wise, experienced, uh, was a former Anglican bishop and chaplain to the Her Majesty the Queen. So he's, the, you know, theologically, and I've known him for years and years and years, and he's, he's beautifully, his faith is beautiful. It's a beautiful thing and always has been. And it's very, very Catholic, always has been. Um, but he he's comes out of that Anglican experience and the Anglicans have been going in one direction and that's down, you know, they've been. Mm-hmm. And what's extraordinary about that is that you've got this, strange juxtaposition in anglicanism where you've got the you think of the low church that's the evangelicals and they're the ones holding the line now it's the high church people who have dropped all pretense of christianity really or they're trying to rewrite it in their own image or a secular image and replace it with all this shallow theology and the result is that no one goes to their churches their churches are empty so you know you pay your money you take your choice but that gives him a sort of apocalyptic um worry or view of what's going on at the moment in Rome Mm -hmm. Um, but from my point of view this is we've had bad popes before it doesn't change the faith and that's Mm -hmm. what I'm interested in is you know what the what the church has always taught and that's the way that that the Catholic Church works it's not we're you know it's built on the saints it's the church triumphant in heaven and the saints and we're, you know, we're the church militant here on earth and we're struggling to get to heaven. So I don't, I've got no problem. Yeah, we've got, you know, I I do think it's rubbish. I think a lot of what, what's going on at the moment is really, really bad. And mostly I'm worried about the things that have always been bad, which is the abuse, you know, that we need to mm-hmm. stamp on the abuse. That's what really infuriates me as a father and a, you know, and a, and a catechist and stuff like that is that, I, you know, that... That's not any way for any Christian to carry on. But we know abuse happens everywhere. I mean, here in the UK, the BBC is, is rampant in the, you know, the British Broadcasting Corporation, is in the scouts, in everything, you know, like the, this has been going on. And it's only really now it's been, and actually the, the rate of abuse in the Catholic Church is much lower than in other organisations. But that that still doesn't mean that doesn't mean that mm-hmm. one case is too many cases as far as I'm concerned. So when you've got a Pope who sort of doesn't seem to be all that bothered about that sort of thing, that to me is a real problem. But I think it's that kind of South American dictator thing that he's got going on, you know. And there'll be another one along shortly, so I'm not that worried about, <laughs> you know. And, and when it comes to, I don't think he'll change, I don't think he can change the truths of the faith. And what he's trying to do is offer a new pastoral approach. I've been studying it quite deeply, you know, with this, the foundation at the at the United States uh, Conference of Catholic Bishops. Like, it's quite handy because you've got this guy, Christophe Pierre, haven't you? You know, he's the nuncio. I really don't like him very much at all. He just seems really interested in doing whatever Pope Francis says to get promoted. And uh, he, he, he sort of called out the bishops 
He said some really scandalous things in an interview with America magazine, like that no one goes to church in America. Well, I tell you, I went, I was in America, I was in Chicago and Florida this year, and the churches are, you know, sorry, Cardinal Christophe Pierre, you don't know, you want to get out a bit more, and because mm-hmm. you know the Catholicism in America is inspirational, and the rest of the world, you know, the rest of the English-speaking world, especially, look to America for that wonderful evangelization that's still going on, you know? And look, people say, yeah. where's the saints? Where's the great voices? Well, look at Bishop Barron. I just, I can't, you know, thank God for Bishop Barron. He's absolutely brilliant. I had the great pleasure of meeting Archbishop Cordelione a few years ago as well. What a great man he is. And I think um, Bishop Strickland, despite the controversy, I don't think you'd have got that in any other papacy. I think he would have just been Mr. Normal. But because Pope Francis is so strange, you know, such a strange Catholic, you, that all of a sudden Strickland's the enemy. And in the meantime, you've got bishops in Germany endorsing blessings for same-sex relationships. Um, you know, you've got bishops in, is it in Holland? I think, somewhere like that. Um, endorsing Bishop Bonnie, this, was it this month, has endorsed euthanasia. Right? That's the killing of innocent people. You know, mm-hmm. and and no, he's still in post. No one's taken him out. So while that sort of thing's going on, yeah, I've got a problem. I've got a problem. But that, but think about it this way: five hundred years ago, no one even knew what was going on in Rome. If you, you know, mm-hmm. if, by the time you did find out, it happened ten weeks ago, and the church still went on, and the church went on in our homes, because what the faith is is something that changes your life. It changes your relationship with other people. It changes your relationship with the people you work with. But more directly, it changes your life with your children, the way that you see your children, the way that you see your wife, the way that you see your husband. And it, and it makes you into a better person because you, are tr- you see those other people in your life as the Imago Dei, as the image and likeness of God with ultimate dignity, you know. So, and when we start treating people with with that sort of dignity, when we understand the the web, the network of connections, that we've got responsibility as well as rights, and that every decision we make, every action we make, has an effect on other people, um, then we change the world, Adam, don't we? You know that if we all believe that, we would change the world. That doesn't change because of the bloke in white in Rome. You know, none of those things change, and that's what we need to all focus on is. What the most effect we can have is in our homes and in our parishes, and we need to, you know, renew our our um, mm-hmm. commitment to living the faith in the most, in the best way we possibly can for each other. Exactly. I mean, even in this sort of relates to a business term where it talks about your circle of influence, where mm. you can only control what you can control. There's like three levels of it. And a lot of times as you control what you can control, your circle of influence slowly grows, but it does start at that singular point of you and your family and your the community in that area. And that's one of the things that it seems like Protestants, at least in the American churches, have well is just they've done well is the the community aspect the the different get-togethers the gatherings the bible studies and i don't see that at least in my local area as much in some of the the catholic churches so i think that's something that maybe we need to as 
localities or laymen's try to figure out how we can drive that of better understanding of Bible study and and get more people to understand the Bible and the additional doctrines because I think that's like I said I think that keeps people there and also can convert people just the the sheer immensity of all of the knowledge that's passed down from a lot of the church fathers and I hope that we take that take some lessons from what Protestants are doing and even the the ones that I find really fascinating that are talking about Catholicism too they're doing it on YouTube, but they were recent converts from Protestantism. They were previous pastors, so they know how to orate, and they know they can go on YouTube and they they can portray the or give the information in such a succinct way where it's easy to digest. Which I think that's also a blessing with now the internet of more people coming to Catholicism, but from a different background where they can make it in a more understanding way for people on youtube so i think there's a lot of uh good things also happening in the world even if there is some ambiguity going on and some difficulties with the faith but i think in the end you just have to trust it the lord above and just give it to him right and just try to do the best like you're saying with your local locality Exactly. Like if you read James 1, it says that we all tested like silver, you know, and the impurities rise to the surface. And I think that that's the way God works. So we shouldn't be frightened when things are a little bit difficult. You know, we should uh, get cracking, really, and, you know, make sure that we're doing our part. So like you say, if there's no Bible study in your area, how can we set that up? You know, how can you get it going? Even if it's just on Zoom or something, you know, or on online, then you can... There's always things that you can do. And the trouble is that the, the harvest is great and the and the workers in the vineyard are few, you know. So mm. um, I, I know, especially here in England, you end up doing everything. If you if you volunteer for something, you end up doing everything. Um, one of the things we got going on is this weekend I was in a wonderful place. You can find this on my blog, actually. There's some pictures if you, you might be interested. Uh, we went to Buckton Towers, which is a... At, used to be the old Bishop's Palace in Cambridge. So I don't know if you saw that today. So at the weekend, I was asked mm-hmm. to go and I speak didn't see that, yeah. to the Catholic Man UK uh, conference. They have a conference there every year. And uh, there was like a bunch of guys really took their faith seriously. It was absolutely a blessing. It really was, you know, to be in the company of other all different ages, some really young guys and some older guys, and uh, everyone was there like brothers, and, and we didn't know. You know, I didn't know. I've, I didn't know any. Of, I don't think I knew. I knew a few of the organisers who'd asked me to go, and one of the other speakers was a friend of mine. And the, the priest who was the chaplain is someone that I've known for a long while. I was actually, and like that was one of the things that encouraged me to go because he's a brilliant priest, really clever guy, and really a good priest. You know, and uh, I just was blown away with the, the calibre of young man, you know, and one of the things that came up there was how do we evangelize when the, you know, the hierarchy is such a mess. And, but Mm -hmm. the answer resoundingly was, well, the truths of the faith, the treasure of the faith is the same as it's always been. So just ignore them. If they're not going to teach it, Mm -hmm. don't worry about it. You, you know, you still got to bring it to your children. You still got to bring it out to your community. So that's what it's all about, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah comes back to controlling what you can control and and adjusting at least it, it i feel like there's just a hunger 
for truth in today's society with all the, the secular nonsense and all that push. There's just this hunger for the, the desire and to better understand what's going on in the world. And you're seeing that a lot with boyhood as well. And it, you did a talk there as well. I saw is it, it was titled linking boyhood to manhood. Is that correct? Or something along those lines? Yeah. So yeah, it was like the transition from boyhood to manhood. So um, we were talking about rites of passage. It was great stuff for men, you know, um, a lot, and mm -hmm. a lot of the, there were some great statistics that came out over the weekend about um, the way that um, families without fathers suffer as a result of that. Um, and obviously we live in a, a strange sort of time in our secular culture where uh, like feminism has, has put us in a position where women are trying to be men, uh, men aren't trying to be anything. I don't know. <laughs> trying to be Slobs women. on the couch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah <or> that. <laughs> so um, it's very, you know, it's very difficult to know. I think a lot of young men now are are really struggling to sort of, figure out where they are in what it means to be a father, what it means to be a dad. And perhaps they didn't have a good father figure when they were growing up. And um, so that they don't really know how to implement that in their own families and in their own lives. So it's great to have this network, especially where you've got a bunch of older guys, you know, you've got some really good spiritual direction from, from um, good priests and faithful Catholics, and we can come together and we can talk about all these issues and come up with great ideas as well, you know. I, I took my 20-year-old son, um, who's my youngest boy, with me. We had a massive bonfire. He was absolutely loving it. He had a couple of beers and, you know, it was all these big torches, and it was great. And just to be, we had all-night adoration. There was mass every day and the rosary. And, I mean, what you couldn't ask for anything better. Good, you mm -hmm. know, good food, few beers, brilliant chat about the faith and one thing or another. You know, that's what you need. So that's that's a really good way to get together in the community, isn't it? You know, with stuff like that. When I was in, I, I was in like uh, that here. I was in Chicago earlier this year, in April, and I was asked to give a talk um, at St Peter's Volo. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, which is a really good. It's the uh, Canons Regular of St John Cantius run the church, so they had exposition, and there was a men's group there, and uh, I went and gave a little presentation, and after that, we all went into they got like a clubhouse next door and uh, we all, uh, I'm just trying to think now, was the guy, Kevin O'Neill, do you know him? He, he mm. wrote the, so he did the Lego books for kids, him and his wife, Mary. He, so he was there, this guy, mm. he's brilliant, great big, massive, great big American. And uh, they, did, they did a series of books on the mass and the sacraments and the, the sort of the catch on it is that it's all made out of Legos. Look, if you look it up, it's really, really good. Anyway, he's brilliant. He knows, like, he's a gardener. He's a landscape gardener by trade or something. He knows more about the faith than I do. I tell you, he was absolutely <laughs> dynamite. But that was, they were shooting pool. We had a few beers. Just brilliant. Really, really good, you know. And that's, I, I love that kind of thing, you know. It's a really, really great thing to do. Yeah, and that seems like the the best way to connect, at least with a lot of men, is just, just hanging out and having a good time and having deep conversations about the faith. That seems like something that's people are longing for here as well. I mean, me personally, and trying to find those type of communities. That's sort of one of the reasons I started this podcast is so I can 
interact with people, other followers, and learn from them because I am pretty new to all this understanding. So it's been very eye-opening already with how much there is. And it's just, there's something, there's like an energy, so to speak, of conversing with other followers of Christ and learning from them and being humble enough to it's realize the that, Holy Spirit, brother. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, but just being humble enough to accept that I definitely don't know anywhere close to anything and just wanting to learn and gather as much knowledge as possible. So, well, yeah, and it's using that awesome. technology, isn't it, to build a community, which is, you know, that's what it's all about, really. And there is a great Catholic community online. Mm-hmm. It really is a str- so, and you're here. You go tapping into it, getting all these different people. How amazing is it that we can talk to each other from two different continents, you know, and have a co- you know have a good conversation, and hopefully share some brilliant things about the faith. Hopefully, Mo- mainly from you, but well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just here learning. But uh, I, I guess so. That's uh, it's been about an hour. We'll wrap it up there. I appreciate you. Coming on, Mark, do you want to plug anything, mention anything before we wrap this? Well, no, just uh, I suppose if you wanted to, if you have enjoyed this conversation, then if you look us up on YouTube, um, I'm sure if, you, if you're into the faith, then you want an English perspective. It's Catholic Unscripted. And, uh, yeah, you'll see me, Gavin, and Catherine talking about what's going on and, and trying to help people find, find the faith. Awesome. Uh, I'll put all the links down below whenever this is released. So, uh, yeah, again, thank you for coming on. And uh, I think we'll wrap it here. Cheers, Adam. Cheers. Hey, all. I hope you enjoyed this conversation that I had each and every week. I'm trying to bring people of faith, followers of Christ onto this, how we can improve our faith journey, how we can better understand God and Uh, learn from one another because that's the best way we can grow as individuals is to learn from others that have more wisdom than we do. Me specifically, I love learning. And if you do enjoy this type of content, please like the video if you're watching on YouTube or you know, if you are on a podcast app, I don't know if there's a, a like feature as well, but you can always, if video or podcast, you can always share this episode. Let them know that you really enjoyed refactoring my Christianity, trying to bring some cool faith conversations each and every week. So go do that. And if you want to, go join the my community, adambuckingham.locals.com, where you can support the podcast and myself, and you can also interact with fellow followers of Christ. We're trying to grow that community so we can interact one-on-one. I want it to be an area where all people of faith, all people of Christianity, of different sects, we can try to come together and just realize that we have the foundation of loving Christ, and let's try to build up a community together. So please go there as well. And until next time, have a good one, and keep praying to the Lord above. Bye.